Beyond the Box 15, Power of Biblical Meekness, Part 3, Waiting on God. This is our final installment for the amazing and important topic of the power of biblical meekness and basically how to inherit the earth because it's to the meek that that will happen. Remember what is written in Psalm 37, verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And remember in that same Psalm 37, verse 34, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. As I've shared before and I share again, it has been the lofty, and sometimes ludicrous goal over millennia of ruling over the whole earth. Whether it's dictators of the past or globalists today, there is the idea that to have universal peace and prosperity, there has to be an economic, political, and spiritual union under one roof. These utopian notions are as old as time, but they overlook the most important thing, First of all, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. That's Psalm 127, verse 1. Every attempt to conquer and rule the world has failed, and oftentimes spectacularly, because they overlook Almighty God himself. Isn't that what the Tower of Babel was about? It wasn't just they wanted a tower with a revolving restaurant on top, and tourist money, they were basically fashioning their own theological ticket. And they wanted to have their world without God. They didn't get it, and they never will. Every attempt to build the perfect world without God is doomed to failure, because they overlook a second component. Not only do they overlook the God factor, but they overlook the flaw in human nature. Because utopian ideas go on the assumption that people are basically good. Well, people can be good, but the same people can also be evil. We all can, because of the sin nature. We may not intend to kill people. We may not intend to steal from them and do other heinous things. But when you're full of your own self, your own ways, and have no room for God, and you have a spirit of rebellion, then tyranny will set in. That's if you're given any levers of power. History proves this again and again and again. And look, I hate to say it, but sometimes it's true. What we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. You have to budget the frailty, the vulnerability, and the depravity of human nature. That's part of the reason the American system of checks and balances and separation of power has worked very well, because they don't want any one person, no matter how noble they may be, like a George Washington, to have all power. Because as Lord Acton said, he's often quoted, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we need to budget in. Well, the utopians do not budget this in, of the God factor and the kink in human nature, So every attempt to build their perfect world without God results in tyranny, dictatorship, warfare, and, if it were possible, worse. So logically, 
If we're going to have a world of peace and prosperity, we need to partner with God. The Bible tells us that God is personally coming to this earth to establish a kingdom that will never be removed. Psalm 96 verse 13 says, God is coming to judge the earth with righteousness and with truth. So every time we recite the Lord's Prayer, we're asking for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, the kingdom is coming to earth because the king is coming. Psalm 27, verse 14, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Great advice. Well, we've looked at biblical meekness as far as defining it. We've looked at David, the king, as a template of biblical meekness, and he really was a good role model in many ways. This third, and I believe final installment, has to do with the practical side. This is something I've learned from being in Australia for years. Australians are very, very practical. Lifestyle programs and reality programs on lifestyle and how to do this and that are highly popular. Both men and women have a lot of common sense, and they know how to practically figure things out. I've learned from that, and I've learned that when it comes to God's Word, it has to be made practical, or God forbid, it will be pointless. We wouldn't want that. So, let's describe meekness once again before we go practical. People who are meek focus on God, His grace, His purposes, while foregoing personal rights, fighting for vindication, entitlement, and agendas. Now, the meek have strong, quiet, graceful, determined spirits, and they plow through life in order to fulfill God's will for them. They dive over distractions and overlook opposition. In this regard, they are greatly graced and empowered by God. They are too preoccupied with the kingdom of God business to be drawn by the undertow of the pettiness and the subversion of this world. Such meekness is actually spiritual empowerment, because as the meek individual decreases, Christ in them, the hope of glory, increases, and Christ in them inherits the earth with them. I need to repeat that. The meek person has Christ in them. The meek person decreases, but Christ in them increases. He's the hope of glory. And it's Christ in them that inherits the earth with them. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22. This is a meek spirit in action. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait on the Lord, and he will save you. Now that means he will vindicate you. He will protect you. He will give you victory. It's all there. Psalm 37, which I've already quoted earlier, reiterates the promise that the meek will inherit the earth. Just as Jesus says the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Yet the Psalm 37 gives us an important angle in both demonstrating meekness and gaining the inheritance. And it's found in verse 9. Psalm 37, verse 9, in this latter part, but those that wait upon the Lord, they 
shall inherit the earth. In that simple phrase, wait upon the Lord, there is a powerful and practical key to meekness and to inheriting our inheritance. In our ever-busy, materialistic, and often dysfunctional world, not to mention lifestyle, the last thing we have time to do is wait on God. Our collective sense of immaturity and the impatience that exemplifies that immaturity makes waiting all the more difficult because immature people don't want to wait. Just ask any screaming baby or child. They want what they want, and they want it now. Not everyone has grown out of that syndrome either, no matter how old they may be. So the spiritually discerning and empowered, however, they know that waiting on God is a key for breakthrough, miracles, and promotion. I've been using this phrase for years, and I believe it's true that those who wait on God will not fail to get to the next level. May I repeat that? Those who wait on God will not fail to get to the next level. So what does it mean to wait on God, and how do we do it? Again, let's get practical. Psalm 62 verse 5 in the authorized version says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. That's a wonderful verse. Let me repeat it. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Perhaps the best way to describe waiting on God is an act of seeking of the Lord's face in an attitude of humility and faith. The individual acknowledges that God is the one who knows and has everything that they need. There is also a strong confidence and expectation that God will respond positively to the diligent seeker of the believer. Instead of looking to one's own resources or looking to other people to meet my needs, the meek person waits to God and God alone for the answers, the provision, the victory, and the vindication. All right, how to wait on God. That's what meek people do that inherit the earth. The how-tos of waiting on God. There is what I call the passive waiting, meaning that you've done everything that you can, and now it's up to God. So you patiently, gratefully, and expectantly look to see and wait for the Almighty to work at the time and place of His choosing. Now, by the way, always intersperse this passive waiting, once you've done everything you can, with praise, worship, and thanksgiving. Always do these things. You will probably accelerate the arrival of your answer when you praise, worship, and thank God for giving you the answers you already need. Then again, there's also the active waiting on God. This is both part of your regular devotional quiet time, and I hope you do have a regular quiet time with God, don't you? And if not, don't wait for a gap of time to be given you. Blast a hole in your schedule and let it happen very quickly. Then let's also go to this. Get rid of your impulsiveness, especially the notion, if nothing is happening, I'm going to make it happen. 
Waiting on God helps you to discern and implement the God idea rather than defaulting to the home-cooked, man-made, good idea. Only God ideas work. So there is the act of waiting. This is both part of your devotional time and this is also part of your obedience time. If you'll never be future-ready, let alone inherit the earth, without some quiet time. We all need it. It's like stopping at the petrol station and filling up. How far do you think you'll get if you don't stop at the petrol station? View it in that context. So whether part of your regular devotions or a special quiet time of seeking God, here are the key ingredients to practical activist waiting on the Lord. First of all, the Bible. You need to have a Bible nearby, whether it's the hard copy version or even one on your phone. Refer to it, quote from it, meditate on the promises that come your way, confess it, and so on. That's part of waiting on God. We wait on God with the Word of God. Second thing we do is have a time of prayer, either as a block of time or interspersed with Bible reading. There's no shall we say, set ritual here or liturgy. You pray, refer to the Bible, sit still and read the Bible, get inspired, prayer and pray some more as you feel led of the Holy Spirit. And then we have what is called praise and worship. I cannot stress enough how important it is to learn wholehearted praise and worship. You don't need a concert-quality voice to praise and worship God. Better to make a joyful noise unto the Lord with all your heart and the anointing of God on your life than to exercise the concert quality voice that is just an exercise in futility. It's not the nature or quality of the voice. It's the wholeheartedness, the sincerity, the pressing into the presence of God. Remember again, praise is the language of faith. And let's quit being so parsimonious about it. After all, I've been to the Melbourne Cricket Grounds, the MCG. I've seen those fans, how should we say it, screaming their lungs out, barracking for their favorite team, including pastors and regular church-going Christians. In fact, I will never forget two pastors. I was sandwiched in between them. They were more radical than anybody else in my area. They literally stood on their chairs, screeching incoherently for their favorite team to win. And in, the interesting thing is they both barracked for a different team on that particular match. If we can do that for our favorite team, and I have to say there is a loyalty I found in Victoria, Australia, for AFL or Australian rules football teams, I mean, they, people stick with their team, the thick and thin, whether on a winning streak, a losing streak, it's amazing. If we could be just as loyal to our home church and to each other in Christ, we'd be doing really well. But think of it this way. If we can do it for a sports team, how much more can we do it for God? And God doesn't mind the volume, and God doesn't mind the incoherence, he doesn't mind. After all, heaven is not a quiet place. So we need to learn what Psalm 150, verse 6, the last verse in the book of Psalms, it says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. The only people exempt from praising the Lord are dead people. Naturally dead, spiritually dead. 
But let me tell you, when you're praising the Lord, it's as if to say you're never dying. You're praising the Lord on this side of eternity, and you'll be praising the Lord even more on the other side of eternity. Use praise and worship liberally, regularly, and the like. Now, you might say, I want to do it, but I really don't know how. I come from a more quiet tradition. Well, I found some of those quiet traditions can be just as exuberant as those that are more Pentecostal charismatic. But if you need help, find a place where they do know how to praise and worship God and stay in that environment till you catch the fire. Remember to say thank you to God as you wait on him. Philippians 4 verse 6, the great verse on prayer and peace, give prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And of course, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Always fit in thank you. And there's plenty to thank God for, even in the midst of trying times. When you look around, count your blessings. You'd be amazed how God is watching after you. Now, there is a place for silence in the midst of all this praise, thanksgiving, and worship. On occasion, wait silently before God and allow him to speak to you. That's fine. However, it's not all silence. Don't get distracted when there's silence. Don't let your mind wander unduly. And when it's time to stop being silent and to praise and to intercede and all the rest, make sure you do that too. Sometimes we can be guilty of hiding behind the silence, or basically we're half comatose pretending to be spiritual. It has its place. Now, there's another thing. It's called fasting. If you're a healthy individual, abstain from meals in order to have time and consecutiveness or connectedness to reach God. There's a simple reason why people fast in the Bible and today, and it's because fasting actually works. They need to wait on God, and this is a great way to do it. So fast if you're healthy enough. And if you're not sure, go ask your physician. They ought to know. Micah chapter 7, verse 7, Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Keep waiting until you've heard from God, and then get your marching orders. Following these simple steps consistently and fervently is guaranteed to change your life. Let me reiterate them. To wait on God, you need Bible, prayer, praise and worship, thanksgiving, silence, and fasting. So do you need direction, provision, breakthrough, healing, big answers to big prayers? Do you just need answers full stop? Then look no further. Come boldly to the throne of grace. That's Hebrews 4, verse 16. Come and wait on God for as you do, both as a regular practice and special emphasis, you will not fail to get to the next level. Now is the time. And let me close with this verse. Psalm 52, verse 9. I will praise thy name forever because thou hast done it. And I will wait on thy name for it is good before thy saints. Let's wait on God, friends. Let's inherit the earth.